A Splunk podcast that's all Splunk and no junk. I'm your host, Birch, here with co-host Hal. This is episode, season two, episode 34. And we'll soon be joined by today's guest, Sanford Owings, who will talk to us about Splunk virtual cores. Before we go any further, let's check in on everyone's month. How have you been, Hal? I thought you were going to roll to commercial. Let's roll to commercial. (laughs) First word from our sponsors. Yeah. It's like when you watch by... a show and, and they just show the uh, the intro and then immediately go to commercial. You're like, yeah. I'm sure there's a VPN or something, you know, insert, you know, VPN vendor here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, you... Yeah. How have you been? <clears throat> been doing all right. I mean, yeah. we, since the last time, I think we had uh, a bunch of holidays. Bunch of we have had work. holidays. Yeah. So that's um that's nice. I like to you know, kind of take, take a pause, take a breather, you know, reflect on what's going on. And, you know, I, I didn't, I don't have any like list of predictions or anything like that prepared, but you know, it's, it is interesting to see, you know, kind of the world around us and yeah. know, think about work for a couple of weeks is nice too. Yeah. Um, vacations are hard right now because we live in a time where it's like, do I try to plan something or will all my plans be canceled at the last yeah. minute? Yeah. Did you know that um, a lot of those travel insurance programs, they, they no longer exist? Oh, really? Yeah. So if you like try to book a plan, uh, you know, book a vacation and, and usually it's like, hey, you know, for this, if you check this box, we'll take another couple hundred dollars from you, but, you know, we'll ensure that you will have, you know, cancellation insurance. No, a lot of those have stopped doing it. Stop doing it. So if I were to go book a, a book a flight, it wouldn't spam me I with all those. So. I can't I imagine have, why. Like, you know, authoritative. You know, never. But yeah, yeah. never say never. Speaking of never, are you in Doctor Strange's home? Yes. Awesome. Uh, at this moment, I am. As you can see there, I am in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Yes, the Strange Atorium. Yes, the Strange Atorium. I'm, I think I'm pretty well caught up on everything MCU. I think I am. I'm uh, behind. You're behind? I'm so behind. You've got uh, Hawkeye. Um, you've got, uh, well, WandaVision was, was a while ago. I watched but... that one. Okay, I, so... I did a little bit of Hawkeye. Wait, no, not Hawkeye. Uh, something in the Winter Soldier. Yeah, Falcon in the Winter Soldier. Falcon, yes. Interestingly, I heard that they originally filmed that and it was supposed to be about an epidemic that they then had to like reshoot and edit. Really? To not I didn't hear about that. that. But um, I'll just spread misinformation and we'll leave it to the internet to fact check us. <laughs> yes. I, th- I would have thought that um, in some sense, past pandemic related fiction was probably wildly popular the past couple of years. You know, it's like a, like a new you know, level of interest. Mm. I mean, I've, I've read a whole bunch of kind of that level, you know, that type of fiction. In the past. Yeah. I've been playing a board game called ba- Pandemic a really? lot. Yeah. Unrelated to what's going on, but it's just a really fun cooperative board game. What's going on? Um, right now, uh, just, you know, d- different things at work. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, what is going on with you at work? Well, um, in the last bit of time, uh, I've started to instantiate this thing called developer success. Mm-hmm. So I'm responsible for 
um, almost like uh, white glove consulting, helping our developers be successful, uh, working on some semblance of support, making sure our developers that provide their own support are actually doing that. And like if they need any help um, staying on par, a lot of it is detecting patterns in terms of questions that come up mm -hmm. um, or challenges that people face and seeing what I can do on our product side to really solve that at scale. Okay. Awesome. So it's been, it's been exciting. Where does the community hang out for this area that you find yourself in? Are there spaces in, in the expanded universe in the expanded universe? Yeah. No, I mean, so you know, there's, um, you know, there's Slack, there's channels on Republic Slack, stuff like that. Um, the community. Yeah. Channel. I'm primarily watching the app dev channel on our user groups and are developing developing Splunk, I, I think is the exact name of the check uh, on our community channel. Um, and my hope is to really use those more so answers.splunk.com, use a lot of that to create a more of a, a knowledge base uh, where people can discover the answers themselves and not have to ask questions. Yeah, You know, that's in addition to stuff that matures into being in our, our formal documentation and Tools. So is the scope of this, is it all Splunk Enterprise and cloud, or is it, you know, all products uh, all the time, 24-7, you know, including our observability stuff, you know, our security stuff, because there's developer yeah. needs for that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's everything, ultimately, but by far as this function figures out what its operating cadence is and, like, well, how do we do the things we do? Um, I'm playing in our expertise, which is primarily Splunk Enterprise slash right. cloud. Um, that's also just been like the biggest area of interest. But mm -hmm. from time to time, we get um, questions about about Phantom, about I was Soar, actually about, about to say Phantom because that yeah. actually had a really significant kind of developer slash integration community prior. To yeah. Position. Yeah, and and all of those Soar apps are now on Splunk base as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So. Gotcha. Um, you know, my my ecosystem, if you will, um, that that I am a member of, mm -hmm. consists of things like our our Splunk Dev, like dev.splunk.com, um, the community things you were talking about, SDKs, REST APIs, um, talks at Conf and whatnot, um, and then uh, yeah, some of those other platforms. It's nice. all it's all fair game. Awesome. Yeah. How have you been doing at work? I have been doing very well. Very busy trying yeah. to basically um, get the right things at the end of a software release project. Mm. By right things, I mean I work on the pre-sales engineering kind of kind of org. I mean, we, it's market strategies and, and tech solutions are the, is the name of the org. And so what I'm trying to do is along the way, you know, see that, okay, um, do we have answers? Do we have training and enablement? You know, can we be successful helping customers get to the point where they understand what it is that we're trying to do and are want to do that whole um, uh, mutually beneficial thing where we give you some valuable software and services and you give us money and everybody's happy because you, you get it. You see the value. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, I see our guest has just joined our waiting we room. We have a guest. That's we awesome. have a guest. So I'm going to let him in. And here he comes. 
Um, now, this gentleman who's joining us today, uh, he is one of the smartest people I know. I'm sorry, Hal, you used to have that title. Mm. You got to uh, bring it up a notch. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I will not compete in this contest. Yeah. I'm glad we are all definitely using virtual backgrounds because none of us would be pathetic enough to have a rainbow real life background or a Dr. Strange real life background or a dorky universe of Splunk and Star Wars background. Definitely all using virtual backgrounds. No, no, I'm, I'm actually in the Sanctum Sanctorum. I'm, I'm, I thought that was clear. Now I'm trying to remember how to turn that off because <laughs> all you really see is my chair. Yeah. Oh, uh, it's fine. I was, I was, the point of that was to mock my, uh, my lack of hiding, my dorkiness. I, I oh, no, like you I'm just get to see either. my organizational skills. Actually, I'm sorry, my wife's organizational skills with the bins behind me. Um, they're actually color-coded so that they can represent a pixelated scene. Um, so, oh, wow. like, some virtual sun over there in the corner and white puffy clouds, and then the ones down low are dark and green, like representing the earth, the ground. That is very clever. So, I definitely would yeah. not have thought of that. No, I like not my that. strength. I would like to know what uh, what is going on with your chair. I have seen this in other meetings. It looks like oh. you're being eaten by a spider. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, hold on. So this, I, I'm gonna. It's gonna be a little vertiginous, I think, maybe. But like, whoa. Okay. So there's three monitors. Um, and it's on a, it's on a, it's on a device. It's on a. That's crazy. It's got Whoa. a. Um, you can raise this and lower this. Hold on. We legit just went into. You can get like in and out. MTV and it'll tilt the chair. Yeah. Yeah. That's neat. So what? And then out on? that way, which you can't see today, um, I could get peekaboo, peekaboo versions of uh, visions of Matt Rainier, our local fourteener. Um, yeah. Wow. Do you struggle when you have to go on site somewhere and you're confined to a tiny laptop screen after that setup? Uh, no, because how to answer Hal's question, um, what are you typing on? That's my I, my laptop is in my lap. Um, so um, I've just I've been along. I mean, we're all old school here. I mean, I think we've had to go through like where the whereas you know 17 monitor was huge mm -hmm. um so for a long time i've just used virtual spaces virtual workspaces mm -hmm. and so what you uh i've even got that on my setup on my laptop so it's i forget it's the spaces functionality on the mac mm -hmm. so i have a or space organized for email and for word word processing and powerpoint and code and stuff like that so um i've always tried to be or I've always kind of had to be a little bit organized. Like the notion of a, everything scattered on a desktop would drive me insane. Um, so when I'm on a when I'm on a when I'm on site with working with a with a customer or whatever, um, I just switch between virtual workspaces. Mm. So what about uh, Flight Simulator? Have you tried that out? Yeah, um, I haven't tried that out. I have a couple. Uh, I have a couple games that. I can play on here. Um, the PC, the chair is a is a Win 10 PC, um, and so I've got Steam and stuff like that. But uh, the only things I've tried, I tried to wrap around version of 
some shooter, I think, and then a wraparound version of Skyrim, I want to say, but um, not a flight sim. Um, I haven't tried that yet, but that'd be cool. Uh, a buddy of mine, it works for Meta uh, in the Oculus division and has a gaming rig with a, a seat and a chair like this and a, and a steering wheel and pedals and everything to race. Um, he plays a, a, a set of Corsa with a VR rig. Um, so I don't know how it serves without the VR rig, but um, you could do a similar thing with monitors or something, I guess. Like you, you probably get a pretty good field of view in there, but um, I haven't tried that yet either. Do I spot Legos behind you? Yeah, that's a partially assembled Millennium Falcon. Um, my children love Legos. Uh, I have two, six and three. The six-year-old will build, and she is good at it. She will build a set. Um, interestingly, a plug for American Girl. American Girl uh, partnered with, I think, Mega Blocks, mm -hmm. which are Lego compatible to do a bunch of sets. And um, their instructions are actually better oh. uh, in that, when you're placing, let's say you've got a big plate piece that's the start of your build and you're placing blocks on it to get started on the foundation or whatever, those will show you the footprint of where your block, new blocks should go. So then in addition to showing you the new blocks you need for the step, like a, you need a two by three tile or a, uh, a one by four by brick, whatever, um, it'll show you where on the base plate you should put them with highlighted colors. So little blue dots or little red studs um, to show you where to put them, which makes it easier to find where you have to go with each step. Whereas Lego instructions, you have to count them. Yeah. Um, you're like, oh, four like over and three up, which, in. yeah, like gridding, yeah. yeah. Um, but I will say this, the new Lego app, um, the later, the recent generation of sets, like you can get instructions online, you can get PDFs online of, of all the old um, build manuals for all the old sets, but the more recent ones are animated and have, like you can rotate the, the build and like see where it's supposed to go and flip it around and in three space, um, which is pretty cool. Um, she doesn't quite get, get into that as much. She just wants to build and stuff, but the three-year-old is the destructor. Uh, he wants to, build stuff but that usually involves disassembling all the pieces and scattering the pieces the elements of the set to the four winds uh so that bit of uh sending pieces to oblivion is a bit uh disheartening i have to quest to find the pieces to build the set again so and birch looks frozen welcome back birch i i understand uh, my my kids are mostly past the lego age and it's sad because i don't want them to ever be past the lego age yeah i know we've been doing this for how many years and this is i think that's the first network disconnect despite being hardlined uh and and actually uh, during well, our prep mine disconnected also oh yeah yeah fun so uh lapore dan lapore was in a meeting the other day and he just and then he just he just stopped moving mm -hmm. and tried to stop blinking so that it looked like he was frozen he was just being silly Oh, I is thought that that's the, what Birch was doing for a second, modern, but then you actually were frozen. <laughs> is that the modern equivalent of wearing like fake glasses to a meeting? Now is that you? <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm looking over to see if like, like I can. No, no. What you really got to do is get the motion blur, and have oh, the yeah. motion blur freeze <laughs> you mid frame. <laughs> yeah, I'll, there's probably somebody creative has done that with a filter for the video. Uh, yeah. Input. Um, Sanford. Oh. Yeah, go ahead, Hal. 
Do it. I was going to do what you were about to do. Yeah, you're you're going to do what I was about to okay, do. Fine. Do it up. Stanford. Hi. Hi. So okay. tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, uh, what what did kind of led you into your journey at Splunk, and then we'll just kind of talk about what you've been up to. I like to call it your orange story. You said orange. Yeah, because well, it's but... it's kind of like an origin story. I've never been in Oompa so I don't have an orange story. Well, that's part um, of your background is that you've never been in Impaloompa yet. There you go. Uh, right. So um, as we kind of discussed a moment ago, like I've been doing computery things for a very long time. And um, so I started uh, in a computer science education in, um, in like 1992. I started working, working with computers for money in 1990 while I was still a senior in high school. Um, Fast forward to uh, joining uh, SendMail Inc., the company to commercialize the SendMail MTA and put a nice GUI on the wrapper and everything. I uh, joined that company in 2000, shortly after uh, the dot bomb implosion. Um, and then during the course of that work, um, we were trying to produce a monitoring solution for um, for that product to you know track the behavior of your MTA, how many messages you sent, da da da. Um, Spent a lot of time on a homegrown solution, uh, eventually with the recommendation of a colleague, um, David Maislin, actually. Um, we uh, brought Splunk in, to, in 2010 um, to be the reporting solution under the hood and OEM build of Splunk. Uh, Gerald Kanapathy was our PS consultant um, and shadowing him in his, like, his second week on the job was some squeaky voice kid from Kentucky. Um, that'd be Brian Wooden. Mm -hmm. um, so then, um, those are real awesome cast of, right there. Yeah, a little bit of a fun one. Um, and actually, a fair number of Splunk, pardon me, a fair number of Sendmill alums are at Splunk. Um, Joe Fitzpatrick was here for a while. He's now at Cribble. Uh, Nick Philippi. Um, oh, I didn't know Nick. Came more names I can't remember at this point, but there are quite. Eric Meckler was a Sendmill alum. Hmm. Um, oh. Like that. So anyway. Um, then 2012, uh, they downsized the engineering organization. I was let go. Um, I reached out to my Splunk contacts and said, hey, um, do you guys interested in having me do some dev work? And they're like, we might have you do some PS. I'm like, eh, I've done PS before, OK. Uh, at the time, I was just living in Jersey. So I was uh, there then under Maddie as um, my PS manager for doing work on the East Coast for a while. Uh, so I had joined Splunk in um, 2012, that is. Um, and uh, I'm the longest surviving PS uh, consultant. Um, but I have a week of seniority over Steve Jones, Steve Johnson, rather. <laughs> um, but there, you know, there are other long- It's like, tw it's like twins who hold that like one is a minute older than the other. Right. What, what month did right. you start? Uh, March of 12th. Oh, that's uh, uh, a month and seven days before the IPO. Uh, I have, you are correct, sir. I have y'all by 30 days uh, and Steve Johnson, I guess, by, by two weeks. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. So you've been doing professional service. You've been implementing consulting. Um, are there any kind of um, notable things over the, the past um, – handful slight handful of, of years that were you know epic like did you have any projects that you can kind of talk about in terms of you know and you can't talk about customer projects uh, per se but like 
what were some just highlights of that? Oh, I bet you had to do a lot of like fake clustering in the four, three days. Uh, thankfully, no, like not a lot of fake clustering. I never got to deploy that, that fabled HA license. Um, the fun one for me personally was sort of like the the fire brigade origin story. So I had a customer uh, who we were just you know checking DF doing kind of standard. My for a long time my finger memory you know my my nervous tick typing tick was DF. Um, and like wait a minute on server three the Splunk partition seventy five percent, but on all the other seven servers it's only. 30%. Well, that's strange. So I started noodling and writing a couple of searches to figure out what's going on. And we had that the DF metrics from uh, the TNX and like, hmm, that's weird. Uh, long story short, it just ended up being a, 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 a like a wake up moment, like, hey, we kind of need some visibility into this stuff. Um, some visibility into like what's going on with disk and what's going on with buckets. And I followed that rabbit hole way, way down. Uh, I passed Alice on the way and waved, said bye. Uh, but um, that's what ultimately became Fire Brigade. Um, I, you know, some Fire fun Brigade customers for, like for, for people who aren't familiar is a very successful and effective app that's been on Splunk base for, uh, for longer than I've been alive. <laughs> um. I think a lot of the functionality has largely been subsumed into into MC and CMC now, but um, but proud of that proud of that aspect as well. That, that exist there were because you found and faced those in the field, and it's like, hey, I yeah. this is what's happening. Uh, hey, product, check out the solutions that we've built in the yeah, field some, because we had to. Sometimes seeing seeing what you had to build like you were just saying how is enough to create like motivate product to just do it yeah never thought about that um, um other notable things like i did um i've done ps uh, work in well you know be, the unfortunate thing so like the my ps career prior to splunk um i got to do a fair amount of world travel um i got sent to europe i got sent to um I got sent to Japan to work on a big project. Uh, I spent multiple months in the UK on a big project. Um, so those those experiences were kind of fun. I don't quite have the same level level of travel going on with with Splunk PS uh, because Splunk is a larger org and and has people all over the world and stuff like that. So there are consultants already in Mia and fine. I guess I can't go. Um, but I did get to do a training gig in uh, Sydney, Australia, and leverage that to bring my wife out for a week in Australia, and then um, visit the Coral Sea and the Big Great Barrier Reef and um, stuff like that. So uh, I did. I have had some some memorable memories in that in that train. Um, but as far as like gig wins, I, you know, I, I think I must be just. I'm, I'm going to claim. Uh, you know, CRS syndrome. I, I can't remember those now. Would you say, you know, you said uh, with Fire Brigade, first of all, do, Fire Brigade, are, are you still frequently updating that? Uh, no, haven't updated in a while, to be honest. Um, I've just been subsumed with other projects. Um, and I don't, you know, so part of the virtue of, uh, I guess, virtue, part of one aspect of working, living in on the East Coast, uh, I was living in northern New Jersey in a town called Morristown. Um, which is not too far outside the city, but far enough to, to make it a little bit of a trip. Um, so I would be working for gigs, doing gigs in the city. Uh, 
uh, like financial district or Wall Street or Midtown or whatever. And so I would take the train. Uh, so I had my laptop on the train for an hour's ride or whatever. And so I was just in that time, I was, you know, double productive because I was cranking out stuff, uh, working for the customer on site and then hammering out stuff on the way home. Uh, I don't, I don't work that way anymore. Um, and so as such, some of those projects have gone, kind of gotten gathered a little dust. Uh, and so fire brigade is due for an update, honestly. Um, I put a, a smidge, like the tiniest smidge ever of, of Python code in there in order to trigger there's a there's a saved search that runs once daily around midnight to populate all the dashboards well if you don't have that run the first time you install it all the dashboards are blank user complaints blah 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 uh, so i wrote a tiny bit of python to trigger that script if it didn't find results um, but of course now that doesn't pass it's not in it's not python 3. <laughs> so I don't think I'm current compatible with the current version. So uh, I think what I'll do is just, you know, release a, a you know, 10th anniversary special edition or something and um, new with updated graphics and now no Python. And, and uh, an unnecessary cameo by Jabba the Hutt. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, and I'll, you know, CG Han Solo. So he like walks over the back. Over of, the tail. You know, yeah. The, the and then Jabba will go. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, destroy <laughs> our childhood. <laughs> so, well, it's um, more like it our wasn't our, it, but but it, it wasn't, wasn't ours childhood. to destroy. That was George Lucas's. That was George Lucas's work. It's his work to tinker with and. Sure. But I'm gonna remember, you know, the same way that you imprint on like your first, the first kind of pizza you get regularly, or the first hamburger, or like you know whatever the first thing. Oh, computer went dark. Oof. Weird. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I'll still remember the original, the original print. So I have it. Cue, in my head. cue no the "I will away. remember you" song in the background. <laughs> um, yeah. So you know, okay. So Fire Brigade. Um, but one of the things I was going to ask is when you were talking about okay, the motivation of Fire Brigade and how you kind of you went deep, you went past. Um, you went past Alice and everything. Alice on the way down, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like that that's like part of your identity is that like if you want something to be figured out, you can always give it to Sanford because he will he will take it all the way to the end and find the root cause or find the right answer or whatever. It, it, would you say yeah. that's that's an accurate attribution? Uh, yeah, I would say I have, um, you know, if you're, if you're talking in the context of, you know, let's say gaming for a second, like I'm, I am kind of a completionist, right? So I like to mm. kind of map out all the other aspects of everything. So just the other day, somebody asked me about the default line breaker being new lines. Uh, and they're like, what, I don't see it in system default. I'm like, mm, probably hard coded. Let's email Amrit. Yeah. Whoa. Amrit's like, whoa, I didn't notice that. Yeah. It's hard coded. So uh, eventually we'll find a way to get to the root of it. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, how you dive deep into things, this was sort of a, a backward setup to what you're doing now, because <laughs> I think, I think you've positioned yourself uh, maybe uh, organically uh, as like the subject matter expert for all things SVC. So how about you tell us oh, a, about that? I wouldn't say that. that. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't say that. Uh, so, um, so SVCs. Uh, I, I, sh should I do the background? Yeah, let's, SVCs let's hear all the, about it. Yeah, sure. SVCs for those who don't know um, is just a you know it's a it's an artificial currency. SVC Splunk Virtual Compute. So it 
refers to the amount of resources, compute resources required to do a thing. Um, for most folks who are using Splunk in a Splunk enterprise in like a, uh, a standard license model or on-prem, um, what we do is we we charge you for the amount of data you consume, the amount of ingest. Um, but there is a new pricing model available that's um, primarily available to cloud customers, but they're rolling it out for, I, I don't know the state of the rollout, but um, I believe it's made available to, to on-prem customers as well called workload pricing, where you pay instead of, um, instead of paying for the amount of data you consume, you pay for the amount of compute resources you consume, where, the compute resources you consume are made up in part of ingest, like how much data you consume does take CPU resources, but that is not the whole story. Uh, so if so I bet that means suit, that like if I'm a company where I have a ton of data that I do want in Splunk, but I don't know how much I'm going to like need it or how valuable it's going to be, I'm kind of paying for the value now because the, the right. things that I'm doing with that data, the searches are probably more taxing compute wise, whereas ingest is more more flatlined and modest right. is that like the the play there yeah so uh you know i think this stemmed like i'm not sure like the origin story of svcs in terms of where they came from or why but i think part of it is to recognize that complexity in the environment so it's not just a simple it's not a simple model it's not simply ingest there are some mm -hmm. customers who are ingesting a trickle of data but searching it millions of times over and so mm -hmm. um there's a balance to be struck between those two things there are other customers who are ingest heavy and barely search any of it um and so just trying to find a, a balance between those things. So the SVCs just represent the, the meter on how much compute is used to do all the things. So whether that's data model acceleration or searches or reporting or run dashboards, whatever, um, SVCs represent the amount of compute power required, the, the rough sizing of the cluster uh, or the, the instance to get that work done. So do we, let, let's say that we have someone that is pretty familiar with the infrastructure of how Splunk works, right? They maybe they mm -hmm. um, understand they've they've run Splunk Enterprise on premise for a long time, and they're moving to cloud, and and now they're you know they're basically hearing about or, or you know SVC pricing. Can they make some assumptions based on what they know and have that generally bear out? I mean, for example, um, you know, indexing used to basically use a core of an index server, and the rest of that busy server that was those were searches. Um, you know, can you make some assumptions like that that generally bear out? And, and kind of how do you, you know, a, as an engineer, like how do you size it? These, how do you get to that end, you know, end goal? Yeah. Um, so both good questions, right? So first, let me tackle the how do you size it, um, just because that's a quicker answer, and then I'll dive into the house. Um, the sizing of SVCs for, for folks approaching cloud goes through a whole sort of process um, in the pre-sales process to kind of figure out, you know, is it bigger than a bread box? And, and what we start with is the ingest, because that's, as Hal pointed out a moment ago, we, we kind of understand the CPU usage of ingest a little more better, uh, a little bit better, because we know we've, we've modeled that for a long time. We've run that way for a long time. And so the ingest, we, we kind of had like a model of like a base core for just running Splunk D and then for every, what was it? Three megs a second or every mega second of, uh, of data coming in, you expect another core. And then after that you have headroom for searches, right? So ingest mm -hmm. still forms the basis upon which we size for SVCs. Um, 
if a customer comes and tells us we're, you know, we're ingesting 60 terabytes and we were going to do a bunch of this and we're going to run ES and run ITSI, um, that's, that's where we'll begin. We'll begin with this notion of, okay, how much ingest and what the, I think cleverly what the, the pre-sales team have done to kind of, um, to, to make the model work for them is then take the sizing and multiply by scaling factor depending on the workload. So we know um, empirically from running on-prem for a long time that enterprise security uh, it has a bit of overhead for the data model acceleration piece. And we can approximate that. And so what eventually happens, Hal, is that we have um, the, the calculations that are done on the pre-sales side relate to how much ingest and then um, we say, depending upon what you want to do with it, you can service however many, um, SV you'll require X many SVCs to service that, right? So if it's just pure ingest and just consume, eat data, eat data, data, no search, um, then you can get like 25, I think it was 25 gigabytes per SVC, right? Um, whereas when you flip it around and you have an intensive application like ES or perhaps ITSI, your sizing goes down to like eight or 10 gigabytes per SVC. Now, I'm probably quoting, misquoting those numbers terribly. So let your, um, you know, let your pre-sales team navigate that. But uh, that's the basic gist, right? You can service, you can service more or less data mm -hmm. with the amount, core amount of SVCs, and then um, you adjust that number up and down with a little tweak, right? So um, what we see though is uh, the unfortunate truth at least from where I sit. Now, you have to understand that that by, by virtue of my seniority uh, and my um, experience in PS, I don't get handed easy stuff um, because that's left for, for others to do. Um, I get handed the tricky ones, the sticky customers, the, the intractable problems, the, things like that. And so as a result, my exposure and my experience is, is skewed. So I'm not gonna say this is representative, like the, the little you know, asterisk your mileage may vary. But um, what we have seen, what I have experienced customers having is this is growing pains, right? So they say, well, we worked with the pre-sales team and we sized everything, and, and, and but, but now why are our SVCs so high? Why are you telling us that we need to pay more money, right? Why are we saying you're using more resources? Or why are you saying that our stack is degraded um, or performance is degraded because we're using more compute? What, what's, it sounds what's so offensive. Rub? Degraded. Yeah, degraded, degrading. I know. Um, so they, you know, customers are regularly saying, kind of, what's the rub? And the truth is that, um, first of all, nature abhors a vacuum. So whenever you uh, give somebody a green field with some resources, <clears throat> some extra compute, they're going to use it. They're going to build a dashboard with a hundred panels, or they're going to do um, dense searches where they don't need to, or, or things like this. And the sizing, <clears throat> that's when the sizing details of that. Um, of that uh, pre-sales work, that engagement really kind of come to the fore. Like, oh, we didn't do a really good job about sizing this, or your organization is growing like crazy and you're using a lot of extra stuff, or um, you know, your ingest has increased significantly thereby using resource, taking resources from the shared pool or something like that. So um, <clears throat> it, it has been uh, a rocky road for some customers getting adjusted to that SVC model. Um, but I will say that the models are being refined. Um, even the calculations themselves um, for existing customers are being updated and refined to adjust for, um, you know, 
kind of real world where the rubber meets the road um, experience with SVC since we have more more time in service with that model now. Hmm. So I, from a technical perspective, uh, the bit, the umbrella question is what is an SVC? But like from a technical perspective, like, so how, how is it, how is it measured? Uh, it's effect. I mean, it's, it's a kind of an abstraction for CPU seconds. Like if you've ever watched the boot up of a Linux kernel and it says your, your CPU has 85 BOGO MIPS, you know, bogus, bogus MIPS, right? Um, and that's, it's an abstraction for how much compute, how much CPU time is required to do a thing. If you've ever looked at um, the job inspector, there's a section in the bottom <clears throat> in, a dist in distributed mode where you have a search head and, and indexers. The bottom has a section uh, about um, the, the time, the work done by each of the indexers that return results. And there's, there's one part of it that's wall clock time, like how much, you know, hmm five, six seconds, whatever. And then there's another part that's CPU, CPU time. time. And usually they're they're one-to-one, -one, right? Um, but sometimes they're not. Um, but even when you calculate like the, the time it took to run the search as a whole, like this search had spent this much time doing stats and whatever else, all those things are broken out by CPU time. And so that's effectively what gets measured by the SVC calculations is how much CPU time was involved in doing a thing. Again, it used to simply be, you've ingested this data, it's on disk, you can search it, go for it. You might have a dashboard that is your coffee dashboard, right? Because it means that it's time to go up and, and head to the break room for another, you know, start another pot because uh, it's gonna take a while to run all that. Well, um, now, unfortunately, the truth is that that's going to cost you money. It's not. Uh, it's not simply, you know, costing you time. It's going to cost you money as well because those those searches are likely to um, uh, graze the threshold of of, of costing SVCs. To be clear, not every search is going to do that. If your search is relatively quick and you're doing just a little ad hoc thing, and you know, it's not going to cost you anything at all. Um, but if you are routinely running a, you know, um, I have a customer who's um, one division in the customer uh, want to run a week on week comparison <clears throat> of a one hour time slice and um, hat tip to uh, memory of David Grasso built us the time wrap command that eventually got rolled into prep product. The customer is doing a 30 day search time wrapping that on a week basis and then filtering to just one hour. So they're doing 1,440 mm -hmm. day, uh, hour calculations, hour summations, hour aggregations. But only needing one. To get to four, right? Yeah. To this week, last week, the week before, week prior. Oh, okay. Um, so that becomes, while an elegant pattern, they're using li like literally time wrap into tail because they only want the last one hour row. Constantly doing it. It's an elegant solution. Mm -hmm. But so, in the SVC model, it's expensive. And explain yeah, sure. Why, what is that elegant solution for? I, I've got some examples, but but I want to like hear what, what are some examples of what customers... Sure. So um, <clears throat> as mentioned a moment ago, the, the, the customer wants to see a week-on-week -week, um, comparison of a metric. So let's take um, a response time of an API call, right? So this is homegrown code. This is this is API code, so Java or, or some other uh, language where they're instrumented the platform so that they're watching how long certain operations take. Is the database slow? Is the 
the fetch, you know, customer record thing slow, whatever, they're profiling their application in order to make sure that it's not degrading and that their customers have a good experience. Okay. okay. Great. So now they want to see in a dashboard, they want to see a comparison of the value for this week, the value for prior week, the value for the week before that and the week before that. Okay, cool. So what are they doing? Well, that's, that's this for this past 60 minutes take, I need this 60 minutes and six, the same 60 minutes a week ago and prior. Um, so what they're doing is they're just casting a wide net. They're doing 30 days. They're doing the whole calendar month. And then they're using the time rep command to wrap one week on the other, on the other, on the other. So they're folding it all backwards, like a, you know, multi-fold, uh, you know, page in a book or something. That, so so now I think what I was getting at, and, and I think I heard it, so, so thank you, it was, is this is, could be any metric at all whatsoever. Oh, sure. And yeah, yeah. when you do this search against um, log data, mm-hmm. then it becomes computationally very expensive. But, but is the, the rub and, here that they're, they're doing a ton of calc for a ton of time slices that they're then tossing away at the end? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the combination of things, right? So, uh, yes, how you do you do touch on an interesting point that uh, metrics could be involved here. I mean, we could we could use the M collect um, oh. to gather this Low, stuff and, and M is kind of lowercase M, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah sure, sure. <clears throat> but um, but yeah, measurement, you know, that could occur anywhere, but most mm-hmm. often, especially in this customer's case, anyway, it was mm-hmm. log data. Yeah, there Correct. might have been a you know the you know, timestamp that you're computing something from, or maybe there's an, a literal, you know, delay equals, you know, lag equals time to respond equals number right. in that log message. Okay. Yep. So what do you so, do when you have that expensive situation? Uh, you find a different way to do it. Uh, and that's currently what I'm embarking on, right? So again, the time wrap solution is elegant, but as Birch pointed out, you're doing a lot of extra work for no gain, right? You're throwing away work because, um, you calculating all these extra slices that you're then discarding. Um, that's not inherently bad, um, but in the SVC model, it again, it will raise your SVC utilization. So <clears throat> in an effort to kind of curtail that and bring it back, um, what we've been doing is finding other ways to do a search. So um, there's a few things that I thought of um, and a few things that I've had to discard. So because we know that we're looking at um, a single hour at a time, so I've, you know, the clock, the clock on my corner of my computer says 12.05 Pacific. So if I want to do the last hour, um, then I need the hour of most of the hour of uh, 11 o'clock plus the first few minutes of 12 o'clock, right? Um, so if I know that ahead of time from my time range picker, my time range that sets some values on my in my search. If I use the add info command, add info command tells me the bounds of my search, the info min time, info max time. I can then drop that into a macro or an eval and do some work to say I want to use those magical date fields that get populated when um, the data is ingested by Splunk. That's an automatic setting that defaults to true. That says if I parse your timestamp, I'm going to save the values of the hour, the minute, the day of the week, et cetera, while I process it into epic time, the way Splunk stores time. Tam- right. So there, there's, internally. then there's additional fields that are each atomic section of the timestamp, the, the, the month, the day, the year, the hour, the minute, right? That's exactly correct. So now that I know that, if I can say, well, 
because I want most of 11 o'clock and a little bit of 12 o'clock, what if I said I want the date underscore hour field, which is an index field, interestingly, oh. um, to be either 11 or 12, right? So then I pull only back, even though it's a 30-day search, I'm leveraging just an index field. by like one-twelfth yeah, of every exactly. single day. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I fetch all that back. Now, I get a lot of nulls in that time wrap, but I don't care because those are nulls for things I don't want anyway, right? So I'm saving myself a bunch of work. The caveat, though, is that first off, um, as I mentioned, that's a default parameter that parameter defaults to true. You don't get those fields if the data coming in uh, is already an epoch. For example, um, consider the squid proxy, which defaults to logging an epoch time. You won't get those fields on that data. Second, um, it's localized to the time zone from which the data was parsed. In the customer's uh, case, the customer search head, they work in Eastern time, but they have affiliates all over. The data itself from data center one is logged in central. From data center two is logged in mountain. So now my values start to expand, right? I have to say if the date zone is the six o'clock zone or the minus six zone or the minus seven zone and it's this and that, then it starts to just get too wonky and and that solution fell apart. Okay, so what's so, next? So just uh, before you continue going, uh, to, I've got a, a list here of some best practices I'm hearing from you. Number one, going in a stack rank. Uh, the most recent was, uh, I, I used to always evangelize that like, because of that geography, you could have data centers in different locations for geographic availability. It behooves you to have all of them on, let's say, the same time zone like UTC. So just set it all to UTC, and you've sure. also eliminated a lot of these headaches. Would that would that be a dividend from from doing that? I would say so, yeah. So if you've got everything in UTC, then at least the date zone field, which is um, again, that time zone offset that's parsed uh, when, when, when timestamps are parsed um, would be consistent. And then you could leverage this mechanism um, to use the date hour. I want the 11th hour of the day, the 12th hour of the day, what have you. Um, you'd have to adjust it mentally for, okay, so it's I'm in Eastern time, but all that stuff's in UTC. So I want the, you know, five hours ago, no wait, five hours ahead. And um, I also cue my rant about how our whole world should just switch to UTC and get rid of time zones, but I'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> the, the other, the other best yes. practice I'm hearing, and we can come back to this, but like from the moment you brought up this use case, it hit me that like, I bet existing um, deployments that convert to SVC have growing pains because they have legacy searches and stuff that are not that Absolutely. performant. But yep. if you were a brand new uh, deployment using this um, model, you would probably be using best practices right off the bat. It wouldn't be so challenging. It's that transition that's hard, which goes to say that it, I, I'm growing very fond of SVC because it feels like it really creates an incentive for best practices using like post sure. um, function on your dashboard so you can consolidate to one base search. Um, using summary statistics where available, like all, all the kind of best practices, cleaning up and not having such sloppy searches. And in the end, you're aligning your um, sort of payment plan. The, the financial uh, burden is now aligned with the performance. So like if you have a poorly performing platform, alliteration score, 
uh, you're, you're going to end up paying for it. And yeah, I don't know. It's just a cool correlation of, of motivators that like, not only should we make this run well, because it's a better experience for us all, but it's going to save us money or at least give us more value. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think that's a great point to underscore there, Birch, because um, one of the things that, uh, I mean, I, I, I will confess to you that I didn't quite approach it. I didn't mentally get to the space yet of, a, of the notion of a best practice. I know that's a torch you've been carrying for a while, um, but I agree that it, that it is, it does encourage uh, some, some practices to help um, write searches in a more optimal way. I, I will say though, I don't think that just because you're a new platform, you know, you decided to, you want to try this logging thing, you're going to try Splunk Cloud and it's, it happens to be an SVC uh, stack. I don't think you're necessarily going to know what those best practices are, the best ways to write those searches. Unfortunately, that's still um, knowledge that's not well surfaced. And that's something I'm trying to do. I mean, when I'm, when I'm doing that with this customer, um, they've the, the specific work I'm asked to do is provide optimization, right? Help us reduce the, the SVCs, find the tall pole and whack it down. And so you touched upon some notion of best practices like dashboards, uh, consolidating searches, using summary indexing, even m, m cap m metrics uh, for Hal um, might be useful in this case for this customer, right? So rather than having to pull all of these data pieces from a log that's it's literally like a string that has MS attached at the end. So they have to rex it. They have to use rex to get the, the field value out in the first place and then do the stats on it, et cetera. Um, doing a one pass M collect to convert those to metrics and then searching them however many ways they want to do later would be a, a promote, tremendous performance win. You gain efficiency by, you know, thinking about your do it thing and doing your post-processing. One of our larger customers in Splunk Cloud um, have done, have undertaken an extensive engineering work. And I mean that as a software engineering, they're not building a bridge um, to, to, to be conscious of and aware of their search patterns, to organize their summary indexing in a way and their dashboard searches in a way and their named saved searches in a way so that they are effectively sipping search SVCs. They ingest a ton of data. They're one of the largest ingest customer stacks we have, but they sit their search SVCs because they've deliberately been very efficient about it. So maybe, a, I mean, it stems even from way back in the beginning, right? They're, they're optimizing their log platform so that they can use things like the term operator to be very efficient with their searches. And then they're using summary indexing to perform the aggregation one time um, and then using dashboards that are built in the summaries, right? So, mm -hmm. uh, overall the, the search is the search behavior is very efficient by contrast. The customer that I'm working with is also a very large ingest customer in, in the top tier of, of ingest size. And, um, they have not yet undertaken that engineering effort to optimize those searches and their, their, their search, their, their users have kind of gone wild. Their users found multi-search, multi-report, time wrap pipe tail, as well as map, the map command, mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, are keeping our data centers nice and warm. <laughs> it, you, you're reminding me how fluid data is because like all the way starting with, I'm a new customer and I have this, this model, I bring the data in. Well, maybe I wrote some searches on day one. I just didn't know any better. I'm new to, you know, experience, whatever. Mm -hmm. 
they work fine. They come back fine. But once you load up that system and you have more data or you have more people operating in that space or more searches, mm -hmm. the, the things that may that, have that worked second search, you know, for one person, eh, you know, it may not scale. Well. Got a thousand people. Yep. Yeah. And then, um, even thinking about like the optimizations that you're doing when you're talking about like summary indexing or metrics, like, well, there's a cost to doing that. It's not like you should just make everything a metric or make everything a summary indexing because that has a cost too. So it's like, if there's enough demand on these things, there are ways to make it more efficient. Kind of like, it doesn't make sense to have a post-process based search on a dashboard with one panel. Sure. Why yeah. make the investment well, in complexity? It's like a problem. You, you, yeah. You don't get to, um, you know, destroy, there's no entropy here that, that eliminates the, the processing time, but you do get to move it or you yeah. can, you know, change the problem, you know, look at it from a different angle. And, and well, sure. It. Consider, um, consider the paradigm shift with the introduction of smart store vis-a-vis uh, -vis enterprise security, right? So enterprise security does exactly what Hal just suggested of, of shifting the processing time. Enterprise security dashboards all rely upon TSTAT searches that then draw the data from accelerated data models. So the data model acceleration, the compute that happens to do that summarization happens in the background while no one's looking. Uh, but when a time comes to, to chase an incident or, or look at your daily security posture, you're loading on a dashboard that's going to load very quickly because you're doing TSTATs against those things. Now, introduce Smart Store. Smart Store. Um, will say, hey, you know, you haven't touched this data in a while. I'm just going to shove it on the back burner over here. If you need it, I'll get it back. But just, you know, it might take a minute. Uh, it's microfiche, right? For, you know, for those, <laughs> for those of us who remember that in a library looking Word for old newspaper clippings. So yeah. um, squeak, 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 now squeak. if you if you build a dashboard with a T-stat search and say, oh, just T-stats, 90-day T-stats, bots, fine, count, whatever. That can once again become expensive if you have to retrieve that data from your from your S3 store. So um, there are some paradigm shifts that that do involve or that will require users and customers to to kind of reassess the way they look at their data. Um, and so um, we discovered an interesting one in the process of this that affected cloud customers only, but there was a change to the behavior in T-stats because first it was giving the wrong answer. So if you T-stats uh, to do a count or something like that against a summary index, which has the summary indexing keywords, PSR, SVD, underscore, pre-stats, reserved, uh, field names, um, then it would actually give you the wrong answer, right? So somebody said, hey, this gave me the wrong answer. So the correct fix is to examine those and deal with the records properly and so on and so forth. But in the process, it changed it to an ad hoc search where T-stats is working in mixed mode between an ad hoc search and the, the summary searches leveraging the leveraging the, the TSIDX files. And as a result, uh, turn a, a, that 90 day T stats that you expect from, um, from ES for enterprise security, for example, to be nice and fast is now counting each and every event. Mixed mode event. being both indexed and, and unindexed uh, summary of it. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's both um, an accelerated and not at all accelerated search happening. Not at all accelerated, right. Um, I, I want more of those. The... I'm going to create a new thing called not at all accelerated searches. <laughs> yeah. But, and but we, and we two, you know, another aspect of that paradigm. Sorry, Hal, I'm going to talk over you. I apologize. I couldn't hear you very well because um, I'm busy blabbing. Um, <laughs> but 
the if you are just saying I need a list of hosts to pick from a form, um, if you do index equals foo pipe stats count by host, that's what we call it. We would refer to as a dense search, right? Uh, because you're going to go through every event and then figure out the host. I thought it was because you were dense for using it over metadata. Well, no, and I'm going to get to that too. If you'll if you'll permit me to to do this little um, permitted. This is this this is the scenic tour to get to to Birch's um, Vista best practices Vista, um, but. If you switch, if you have that dense style metadata search, um, that's gonna be more expensive from a compute perspective than a tstats or metadatabase search. So you can use the pipe metadata search command to quickly get the list of hosts um, just from reading these tiny little .data files that are in every index bucket. Or instead you can read, um, you can use the tstats against the index files and be a lot quicker. So there are efficiencies. There are ways to do things more efficiently um, when you're in this model, whether you want it to just be fast. Uh, and Birch, we touched on this before, but it's not only just about optimization, but it's also about user experience. Mm -hmm. So if I want something to be quick and snappy, I'm going to do it this way and, and, and do some things. And as it, as it happens, most of those things are going to improve your experience from SVC as well. So um, one of the things we talked about best practice um, would be to, to just consider the way you, you use the data. So, you know, why are you doing index, you know, why are you getting, trying to get the list of hosts? Maybe one of your best practices, maybe one of your uh, things that you, you want to adopt as a, from a customer standpoint is provide a metadata catalog to the people who are going to do it. Like I've seen discovery searches where index equals foo, what are my field names? You know, effectively, they're just doing an ad hoc search to discover field names or field values and what it looks like in the raw so that then they can run a search and do a stat. So they're kind of double dipping on the search because they don't know what's there. So if you know what's there ahead of time, that's part of what can help write more efficient searches. You have this metadata catalog. And so if you're looking for this, run this search. Now, sometimes you mean literally the metadata search command. But I imagine yeah, exactly. a bunch of uh, items in a toolbox there that could help build that catalog. Yeah, absolutely. So um, tstats is one of those, knowing um, the way that the index files work, like even, even just something as simple as, you know, the term operator with regards to like the dot character, right? We, we've, we always talk about searching IP addresses, um, how Splunk will split them. By the by the dots to find where you know 10.117.22.44 where 10 and 17 and 22 and 44 all occur together at the same time and happen to be in that same order with dots in between two um there's faster ways to do that so um i know we're coming up on time here i guess you know as you explore this world of svcs and and doing the optimizations and we we juxtapose that with the fact that like this is fluid your usage of the platform is fluid every every new bit of data that comes in every new group that comes in and even the optimization that that opens up and unlocks new capacity um all of that creates fluidity because the behavior of how you use the environment changes you introduce new use cases because you have capacity or so forth like even when Sanford gets engaged in an, a, a customer's deployment to make optimizations, the second you leave, that entropy comes back, right? So what are, are kind of your, your, what kind of like advice do you have for people? Like how can they stay vigilant in, 
in the quest to keep performant in their environment. Yeah, cool. So um, that's where the, the notes that I scribbled ahead of time because I wanted to remember a couple of things. Like you were talking about some best practices. I would strongly recommend anybody who is already in a workload model or perhaps considering a move to one uh, to implement the workload management, right? So in the cloud platform, um, cloud platform, you already have the necessary infrastructure there to use workload management. Um, your mileage may vary if you're running it on-premises. Uh, it's only available in the Linux OS environment, I believe. Um, but workload management allows you to put guardrails. Hey, don't run index equals star. Or if you're going to run index equals star, we're going to slow play that search so you don't, you know, heat up the heat up the the office, right? Um, and so start with workload management. Put bounds on searches. Prompt people. Help people write better searches by saying, "Don't use index equals star. Tell me what index you want to look in." Um, you might put caps on the execution time of a search. You might uh, lower the priority of a search so that it doesn't consume as many resources. Uh, it might take longer to run. It'll eventually run for that user, uh, but then and that that's becomes all with, a motivator. That's all with workload management. Like it, it's basically yeah. the, the handy cut, hand, handcuffs or like the contain, not container, but like the boundaries that, that this workload can operate in. Let's let's be nice and call it a walled garden. I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. but exactly right. There are constraints that you place on on searches that people can run. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Noted. Um, do workload management. Um, consider profiling your stuff. Right. So, uh, customers who are already in workload pricing um, have a dashboard available to them. And um, cloud monitoring the, the, the CMC cloud, cloud monitoring, monitoring console to look at SVC usage. They can report on it. Um, daily, hourly, what have you, look for users who are using high searches, figure out why. Uh, it can be a prompt, it can prompt a learning experience. I mean, we've talked about how I tend to rat hole on things. I, I will look at a search and say, why is that search costing so many SBCs? Um, I've, I've got enough experience now. I mean, the, the bulk of my experience, not just the last you know few months working with VCs, but I have an understanding now of what things tend to be more expensive and I can articulate that. But as you say, Burgess, it is fluid. It's not that it's every environment that runs a search this way is gonna have this problem, um, but these problems do tend to surface more often than others, right? We, we see this, when you run a search this way, it tends to use more SVCs. When you run a search that way, it tends to use more SVCs. Um, I might consider another thing to consider would be like a wall of shame, like um, call out the, I mean, leverage that CMC platform, but then say, who are the top 10 users? And maybe have a talk to say, hey, what is it you're trying to do with your data? Um, maybe we can find a way to do this better. Maybe there's a better way to search with clever use of like the term operator or um, Richard Morgan did a great talk about T stats and the prefix operator. Um, there are things you can do with key equals value logs, um, just using T stats alone, um, which is actually you know a pretty what? slick. I, I used to also thing. say, I, I'd encourage uh, people running de deployments to look at like a wall of shame, look at what searches are using the most CPU time because the people running those have already presented themselves as your future power users. They're clearly passionate and doing oh, sure. things of high value. So if you can bring them into your house of, hey, here are great ways to be more performant, you've now democratized that knowledge. They can share it with others. Right. And be your champion with that within their team. 
Yeah. And if, you know, I've seen a lot of copy pasta within the environment I'm working in. So one person, you know, one clever person uh, built up a bunch of dashboards and then everybody clones it. So I've seen clone, clone, clone. Right. So uh, you want those individuals, those, those, you know, those leaders, those thought leaders within the groups to, to be doing things the right way. Yeah. So like train the trainer, you know, go, go identify those people that yep. are interested in. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So any final thoughts before we let you go? Um, nah. Nah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think I think forty-seven minutes, and then those are my thoughts. Well, no, I mean, honestly, it it reads like a you know the last paragraph of your five-paragraph essay from grade school, right? You the in conclusion, um, SVC pricing affords a, a lot of flexibility with your cost model. It's not just solely related to how much data you consume now, um, but for some customers, that model will have a surprise. Um, and so like, wait, I thought we were doing really efficient about the way we manage our data. If I was bumping up my ingest license, I'd just turn off a forwarder or I knew I was in debug mode. I'd throw away some logs I don't want. Um, that's what's more difficult to do with search. You don't, you don't throw away searches you don't want per se, because, you know, chances are they're, they're run for a reason, right? Um, I will say there was, there was some cross, some copy paste between, you know, data center one and data center two, but we eliminated that stuff pretty quickly. Um, I would say instead it, uh, SVC allows a, a possibility for um, more, more, much more efficient use of the platform. Um, and, you know, perhaps even ways to get at your data even better. Like, oh, I didn't know I could do that that way no longer will I dump this into a spreadsheet and run my calcs. I can actually do the calcs in Splunk now that I know the efficient way to do it, right? So I think it does afford a, a capability for, for broader democratization, democratization of your data, um, to borrow that word once more. But um, it does involve a little bit of pre-thought and it does involve, involve, involve a little bit of work. Cool. Awesome. So, and I'll write stuff down as soon as I can. <laughs> Thanks a lot for joining, uh, you know, spend some time with us, Sanford. Um, I learned a lot. Hopefully the listeners did. And uh, we appreciate your time and uh, talk to you again soon.